0: Today's message, Pursuit of His Presence, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, He went up on a mountainside and He sat down. His disciples came to Him. He began to teach them, He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So as Jesus gives us these beatitudes, remember he's not speaking uh, in in a vacuum. He has the wealth of, of the scriptures, right? The wealth of the Tanakh or the 39 books of the canon that they had, the Law and the Prophets. Obviously, he's well acquainted with the Scriptures because he is the living Word. But he begins to talk about being pure at heart as a necessity for seeing God, for being in his presence. And this this was not foreign to Jewish thought, right? Psalm 24, "...who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place." The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. So I reworded it a little bit, right? Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Who can see God? Who can be in his presence? That's the narrative of the Bible, right? We were in the presence of God. Adam and Eve were in God's presence. They sinned. They were separated from the presence of God and the narrative of scripture is bringing man back to God through the blood of Jesus Christ to enter into his presence in his right hand where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So who is the one who can see God? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God? The one who's pure in heart. God requires a pure heart to be in his presence. Now again, as we've Looked at the Beatitudes, we've made the point that you know fulfilling these beatitudes is the necessity, like you, you have to like get the checklist done if you want to enter into the kingdom of God. There's only one entrance in the kingdom of God, and that's through the new birth, through Jesus Christ. But those who are in the kingdom are characterized by these beatitudes. They're characterized by these blessings. And those who are in the kingdom are seeking a pure heart they long for that presence with god and so as we look at this passage today is you know one one verse right i'm dividing it up into three different sections here the pure in heart that will see god the pure heart i'm sorry that will see god is a is a heart that's new and it's given by god the pure heart that will see god is undivided it has reordered redirected affections and the heart that will see God is a heart that is is hopeful. So the first point here, the pure heart that will see God is given through the new birth. The pure heart that will see God is given through the new birth. So we need to understand what the heart is. What what we're talking about the heart, what is it, right? It's not that muscle that sits in your chest cavity that miraculously pumps blood throughout our lifetime. Never gets fatigued, it seems. But we know that that's not what's in view here. The heart really is, I call it the warehouse of our desires, right? The heart is the inner control center. It's the governing disposition of man, right? We have this non-material part, and the heart really is the control center of that non-material part. It's the common meeting place of man's spiritual, volitional, emotional, intellectual capacities, this is where it all starts, right? Guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the issues of life, right? So it's, it's where life comes from. So when we think about the heart, it's not just this place where I have affections, right? The heart does have feeling, right? The so- Song of Solomon attests to that, or the Song of Psalms, right? We're, we like this, right? This, the movies, the songs, that feeling... Right? And that affection that we have towards God, that rightly ordered affection, that feeling towards God. God, So the heart feels, but the heart is also a center of morality. Right? It's right and wrong. Oh, my heart, this is, since this is the right thing to do, it's, it's it's wrong thing to do. So right and wrong, it's a place of determination. Right, It's a place of will and purpose. You determine in your heart. You've made a decision in your heart. It's also a place of faith right we we believe with our heart and we are saved it's a place of faith and the heart is also a place where we think ephesians 4 there's this intellectual capacity of the heart right so this heart this immaterial control center of our being is inextricably linked to this gray matter that sits up inside of our skull All these neurotransmitters are going, they're being fired, the electrical impulses are going on, right? There is this this link between our brain and our heart that is inextricable to the point of the separation means death. So again, this heart that we're talking about today is the warehouse of our desires. It's where our affections sit. It's the center of our personality. It's the core of our souls, ultimately responsible for thinking, feeling, willing, hoping, and yearning. That is the heart that we talk about. So why does Jesus stress the importance of the heart at this point? Why, why does he do that? Well, it's his character as God in the flesh. God always has always focused on the heart, right? The heart's a big deal to God. He wants to know what's going on inside there, right? We see this in this little episode where Samuel's trying to find out who the next king is going to be, who he's going to anoint, and Samuel's looking at all the big The big guys, the strong guys, the older guys. And then God reminds them that the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but what? The Lord looks on the heart, right? So that's the character of Jesus. So he's focused on our inner person because that's where everything comes from. There's also a cultural context that Jesus is speaking into, right? This context of religiosity, the pharisaism that ruled the day that had reduced a relationship to god with following a set of rules jesus has no kind words for the pharisees he's like you guys got it all mixed up you guys look good on the outside you get everything washed up you got your sunday clothes on you got your church face on but on the inside you're rotten you're rotten to the core and it stinks He says, Woe to you teachers of the law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. Right? A hypocrite is somebody who looks one way on the outside. On the inside, they're different, or they act differently in two different situations. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish. And then outside, it will also be clean. Right? He would say this to the Pharisees look. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And Jesus was there for the hearts of the people. And he was grieving over the fact that the Pharisees had reduced their existence to rule keeping. And destroyed their relationship with God. Their hearts were broken and they didn't even know it. And so it's easy for us to look at the Pharisees and go, yeah, I know about those guys. What a bunch of idiots. I mean, Jesus, God in the flesh was standing in front of them, and they couldn't get it. They couldn't connect the dots. What idiots, right? They, they were standing on the street corners preaching and praying and sounding good and looking good. But on the inside, they were probably lusting at the women when they walked by. It's easy to throw pot shots at the, or you know, take shots at the, the Pharisees. Some of us deserve, but sadly, many of them have been poorly taught. They're just living out what they had learned, what they had seen before them. And Jesus says, No, things have got to change. I'm here to capture your heart. So, as you consider the Pharisees, are you really any different? I mean, are we different? There's a little bit of Pharisee in all of us, I think. Right? Jesus understood the condition of the heart, that's why he was there. Right? He understood the diabolical nature of the heart. Jesus said, look, and he's dealing with food regulations and rules about keeping dietary restrictions. He says, look, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it's from within, out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come sexual immorality theft murder adultery greed malice deceit lewdness envy slander arrogance and folly all these evils come from inside from the heart of a person and they defile a person jesus was acutely aware of the condition of the hearts that he was speaking to so you understood that it was diabolical it was descriptive of everybody nobody got a pass on this everybody has a wicked heart Every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. This is God talking about people to Noah. This is just what characterizes humanity. The nature of the fall has been so consequential, so devastating, that every inclination of the heart is evil from childhood. You may say, Well, I see people do good things. I mean, there's that all evil. Some of it's, it's thank God because we're creating the image of God we do do things consistent with his character but we do it for self-glory unless the holy spirit of God is directing it towards the glory of God so this this diabolical nature of the heart is descriptive everybody in it the heart is desperate right Jeremiah as God's talking to Jeremiah says look the heart is deceitful above all things. It's beyond cure. It, who can understand the heart? The heart is desperate. The human heart needs radical help. And that's why Jesus came, to offer hope for the human heart, right? Those three passages that I showed you concerning the heart don't leave much hope for humanity, right? If, if the qualifications or what's needed to be in the presence of God in heaven is a pure heart, And we've seen that hearts are wicked and desperate even from childhood. Then where's the help? And as we look out at the world, understanding the nature of humanity. The desperate nature of the human heart. Shouldn't that drive us to compassion for people? That you have the only answer to their heart. The only answer. And that answer is Jesus Christ, right? Jesus says, look, I tell you, you cannot enter the you know, flesh and blood can't enter the kingdom of heaven, right? Nobody can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Something radical has to happen. Nobody can see God apart from the radical new birth that Jesus came to offer. And again, what Jesus offers really comes from, it flows from that new covenant that Ezekiel talks about, that covenant that God would make with his people. And he talks about the heart there. He says, Look, I give you a new heart, I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone, from you, your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. We call this the new birth. We call this regeneration. This is, in fact, the passage that Jesus was referring to in his discussion with Nicodemus. When he says, Nicodemus, you're a teacher of the law, you should know this. When Nicodemus says, how can a person be born again? This is what it means to be born of water and spirit here. I'll wash you clean. I'll sprinkle you clean with water and I'll put my spirit in you to give you a desire to obey my commandments. I'll put my spirit in you. I'm going to redirect your heart. I'm going to transform your heart. I'm going to redirect your affections so that you love God and love love your neighbor as you ought to. And this regeneration is because the spirit of God comes to live within the person. That's where the life comes from. That's where the new birth comes from. So the hope for the human heart is in the new birth. It's in this new heart that God gives through faith. So so how does somebody get a new heart? This pure heart that's needed to be in the presence of God? Well, it begins with repentance, right? You need to understand how wicked your heart really is. How desperate your heart is. David understood this after he committed adultery and then had the husband of the woman that he committed adultery with, essentially murdered. Pretty bad stuff. David was broken after Nathan came to him. Broken. And he writes this beautiful psalm. He says, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Right? It sounds familiar in the Beatitudes, doesn't it? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are you know when you know how desperate you are. Blessed are those who mourn their sin. To be contrite is to mourn your sin. To be contrite is to recognize how desperately bad you are. And that you need somebody to save you. So it's repentance, right? You have a contrary heart. You recognize my heart is sinful. It's led to all these actions. I want to turn from that sinful heart and those sinful actions. I want to turn to God and re- or have my affections reordered towards Him. So it begins with repentance, but then it must result in faith. That faith says, I can't give myself a new heart. Only you can give me a new heart. And that Christ... Died to take away my sin and rose from the dead, so to make that new heart possible. So we see this in Romans chapter 10 if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, why and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved because it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and you are saved. So now that we've seen. The desperate nature of the heart and the only answer for the heart. My question is, is do you have a new heart this morning? Have you repented? Do you have the heart that's needed to enter into God's kingdom? So the pure heart that will see God is a heart that's new and given by God. The heart of stone is taken out, a heart of flesh is given. We call that the new birth. We call that regeneration. It only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. But as Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they they will see God. He's looking for a people also that have an undivided heart. A heart with reordered affections. The pure heart that will see God strives for rightly ordered, undivided affections. I'm talking about affections, I'm talking about love. I'm talking about the desires that God has given us. And so, thinking of this concept of undivided, and I'll get to a passage that talks about it in a minute. This concept of undivided means pure, right? If we look at a nugget of gold, right, we see that that one piece there that's it's pure. There's nothing dividing the gold there. It's undivided, right? And then there's a piece of quartz that has gold specks in it, right? That gold is very divided, right? There's a lot other stuff going on there except the gold. It's impure. And so for those who, are, those who are going to be in the kingdom, those who are kingdom children, they have an undivided heart. They have a pure heart. They have, they have made a decision to deny themselves and to take up their cross and follow Jesus. They are undivided in their determination and their affection to follow their Savior even to death if necessary. Psalm 86 refers to this concept of being undivided. The psalmist says, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name, right? And so in the red there, I have, it's, this is very important when you look at Hebrew poetry. It's called synonymous, parallelism. They're parallel. Synonymous, they mean the same thing. It's, it's said one way, teach me your way, Okay. Give me an undivided heart, right? So it's, they, kind of, they go together. And so this concept of having an undivided heart is to be, to be taught by God and to follow what you have been taught. Another way of saying Psalm 86, 11 is this. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Cause all my desires to be directed towards you. Reorder my affections. May I never be undivided in my love for you, God. So as we consider being undivided, as we consider being pure, having a pure heart, and that means having your affections all directed towards God, it reminds me of the greatest commandment. What is that? It's the commandment to love God with all your heart. Not just part of your heart. Not just the easy part, but to love the Lord your God with all of your heart all of your soul, all of your minds. So here we have the greatest commandment. And it involves rightly ordered, undivided affections. And see, as we consider that issue of sin in our lives and what divides our affections, it stems from our desires. And I've, I've talked about this before. I think it was the message on hungering and thirsting for righteousness, right? What God desires is, is that our desires, which are centered in our heart, right? I said that your heart is the warehouse of your desires, that all the desires of our heart be rightly ordered through God. And as we do that, to God and through God, as we do that, then we are satisfied, then we are fulfilled, then we experience what God wants us to experience. This is right. This is the way God wants us to live. This is undivided. But the nature of sin is such that we turn our affections towards the created thing, and we're divided, All right? So it's probably not a good a good picture here to show none of the arrow going toward God, because as those of us who follow Christ, we get this doctor, Doctor Jucklin, Mister Hyde thing, don't we? Like sometimes straight on, man, everything's pointing towards God. At least we feel that way. And the other times are like affections directed, directed uh, affections directed. Absolutely towards the created thing. Where did this come from? Because one moment I'm praising God and I'm doing what I should be doing. And I'm, I'm loving him and I'm serving him. And the next moment I'm loving myself and serving myself. I am divided. I'm, I'm a schizophrenic. And we can relate to that. And God says, I want a pure heart. I want an undivided heart. I, I, want, I want all of my affections. I want all of your affections directed towards me. Not because I'm some cosmic overlord that's trying to kill your joy, but because in directing all your affections towards me, you experience life as you were created to experience it, and you are satisfied in that. You'll have all that I want you to have. So how, question is, how do I reorder my affections for an undivided heart? How do I gain that pure heart, right? So they'd say, this is going to get complicated here, guys. This, This is rocket science. It's going to get tough for you for a second. So if you're getting sleepy right now, you better wake up. I get it. Spread the word, guys. They're all taking notes here. They were working hard last night. So how do I do that? You guys are going to hate me for this, right? First of all, if you want to reorder your affections for a pure heart, you need to know the heart of God, right? What does God desire? What does God want? What pleases God and believe it or not, that's by knowing God in His Word, right? I told you this was rocket science. Right? The gateway to the Psalm, Psalm 1, tells us there's a path, path of blessing, there's a path of satisfaction, there's a path of fulfillment, there's a path of joy in the presence of God. And there's a path that leads to destruction through self-absorption and self-fulfillment. That's the other path. The path that leads to what God has for you is Psalm 1, verse 2. Blessed, blessed is the one whose delight is what? In the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. I told you this is rocket science. Is that all? Knowing God in his word? That's the start. That's the foundation for it. Right. If we look at this concept of delighting in God, of delighting in his word, that means as we delight in something, our, our desires and our affections are directed towards that one or that thing in whom we are delighting. And that comes from where? It comes from our heart, right? Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So as you delight in God's word, as you delight in his law, as you meditate on his law day and night, as you hide his word in your heart, as you spend time disciplining yourself to be in God's word, guess what? He begins to reorient your desires. He changes your desires. He changes your heart. He purifies your heart. That is how you know the heart of God. And so just very simply, are you reading your Bible? Are you dissatisfied with life? Do you feel empty as a believer? I'm talking to believers now. you feel like you're just not connecting the dots in life? My question for you is, and if you come to me counseling, and we sit down together, my first question is, are you reading your Bible? Isn't that a legalistic thing? This is me saying that you want to be in the presence of God one day, right? That's what your desire. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. You want to be in his presence one day. Moses wanted to be in the presence of God. God, we don't want to go forward if you're not going to go with us. God, let me see your presence. Okay, I'll let you see me, but you can't see my face, you know, or you'll die, right? So Moses sees the hem of God's garment. He's in the presence of God, and God reveals himself through his word. And Moses' face is radiating with glory because he's been in the presence of God. He's heard the word of God. And you're like, well, that's Moses. That's not me. I don't get that every day. Friends, you've got more of God's word than Moses ever had. But the fact of the matter is, is that in your mind you don't have faith that God is speaking to you every single time you open up his word. Because if you really believe that, then you would probably spend more time reading your Bible. Take delight in the Lord. If you want your affections reoriented towards God for an undivided heart, You've got to know the heart of God. You've got to be in God's words. Secondly, if you want to gain an undivided heart, you simply need to obey God from the heart. See, I told you this was rocket science, right? The like the kids' songs, right, from Vacation Bible School they're just they're just blowing through my mind. I read your Bible, pray every day. O B E Y. Right, it's it's coming to me. Obey God with heart, because. Here's the thing, and this is this is a tough one, okay, but you got to trust me, right? God says, he says, taste the Lord, and, and he taste the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. What does that mean? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, I'm thinking about food, right? When you think about taste, you think about food. Jesus says, what, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. Right, so... When we obey God based on knowing his word, knowing his heart, then guess what? Our affections follow. Friends, your affections are going to follow that which you obey. Let me say it again. Your affections will follow that which you obey. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, is going to say this. He says, for where your treasure is, it's where your heart's going to be also. You right? talking about how you handle your material goods, right? So, so if, you're in a, if you're obedient to God and the way you handle your goods, your, your, your heart's going to be there too, right? Because, and that shows where your heart is as well. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So obedience to God, as you know the heart of God, transforms your heart. It reorients your affections towards God because your affections will follow your obedience, I told you that was rocket science. No extra charge for that. But a caution, okay? This is for the guys who were in Southwest Detroit. I think this is for you guys. They were dealing with Spanish speaking people. I see this every day in the nursing home. I'm like, there are no Spanish speaking people in our nursing home, but all the wet floor signs say cuidado or I don't know how do you say it? <laughs> I guess that means watch out. And so the caution here is you strive for a pure heart through reoriented, reordered, reordered, affections. You have to be careful. And Dave and, and Carson is really good here. He says purity of heart must never be confused with outward, outward conformity to rules because it is the heart which must be pure. This beatitude interrogates with us with awkward questions like these. Like, what do you think about when your mind slips into neutral? This is really important, right? You're driving down the road. You're just looking into the horizon, and all of a sudden, you're you're like, you can't remember having been driving for a while, and you're just kind of zoning out. Where is your mind? Where does your mind go to when it's in neutral? It says a lot about what's going on in your heart. Carson continues. He says, how much sympathy do you have for deception, no matter how skillful, for shady humor, no matter how funny? That was literally, I'm studying for this message. And, you know, people sing stuff all the time. And it was Roseanne Barr. Somebody asked her, what is a woman, right? And and then I was laughing my head off. And I was like, she was so, like, vulgar. Like, I'm studying for this. And that's how deceptive it is, right? And, and I was giving my attention and my laughter to it. For shady humor, no, or shoddy humor. He says it shoddy. He's, he's Canadian. I don't know. You're Canadian. How do you say that? Shoddy <laughs> what do you listen what do you want more than anything else what at home do you love to what extent are your actions and words an accurate reflection of what is in your heart to what extent do your actions and words constitute a cover-up for what is in your heart so back to the beginning it's not about rule keeping necessarily don't confuse Pharisaism with a pure heart. Just because you can look good and sound good and people think you're good, it doesn't mean you have a pure heart. Now, just a couple more things about affections, right? We've been here for a second. We're going to linger here just a little bit longer. Right, We consider God and being in his presence, right? This is not an exhaustive list, but when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden... They had these things. They had pure worship of God. They had fullness of joy. They had pleasures. I had forever there, but pleasures that was going to be short-lived, actually. Intimate relationship with God. They had security. They had peace. They had that shalom. They had fulfillment. They had satisfaction. They had all those things in the presence of God. As they were seeing God, they had those things. But then they sinned. And what happened? They were separated from the presence of God, right? Their desires were disoriented. It became disaffection. They began to seek the created thing, not the creator. Their hearts were impure. So, pure worship became idolatry. Fullness of joy became despair. Pleasures became hedonism. Intimate relationship became perversion. Security, fear, peace, hostility, purpose, brokenness, fulfillment, futility, satisfaction, and emptiness. Because their affections became disoriented. And this is the problem with sin in our lives. I I can't remember if it's St. Augustine or if it's Jonathan Edwards. He calls sin disordered affections. You're not loving God with all that you are. And when we fail to love God with an undivided heart, the bad things result. And one issue that I want to deal with is that issue of of hedonism, if you will. Hedonism is just somebody who seeks pleasure, right? I live for pleasure. That defines our culture. Our culture lives for the pursuit of pleasure. We are trying to create heaven on earth. And as a result, we, we keep God out because he gets in the way of some of the pleasure that we want to have. Our affection has been taken from God to the created thing that we believe is going to give us pleasure because we're trying to create heaven here on earth. And God's saying, no, you're seeking for something that only is going to happen in my presence You are not going to have that now. If you seek that now, it's disoriented, it's misdirected, it's disordered, it results in sin, and you have an undivided heart. I mean, you know in your heart right now, I'm talking about something, an affection in your life that's disordered, and it's directed you away from God. You have a divided heart. And it's not characteristic of the heart you've been given in the new birth. I'm looking at a room full of believers right now. David clearly tells us, says, you will make known to me my, the path of life. What? You will fill me with joy. Where? In your presence. With eternal pleasures. Where? At your right hand. You see it's in the presence of God it's in seeing God that we realize what God really has for us in satisfaction in fulfillment and joy and it's not in the created thing So this pure heart that will see God is new it's given by God it's undivided and lastly it's it's hopeful it's a hopeful heart The pure heart that will see God is hopeful regarding the promise of perfect purity at the return of Christ. Wouldn't striving for an undivided heart seem futile if we didn't have the hope of the return of Christ and seeing him and being perfectly pure as he is perfectly pure? Knowing that one day the struggle will be over? See, we live in this already not yet. I like, I like that expression, already not yet, because it so aptly describes where we are, right? Right? As I look at you, you've been given a new heart, right? You have a new heart. Praise God that through faith, God has taken out your heart of stone. He's given you a heart of flesh. Your affections have been re- redirected, reoriented. You have the spirit of God living within you. Right? You are robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But in God's wisdom, he's left us with a sin nature. So already... In the mind of God, we've arrived. Already in the mind of God, we are pure. But we have this experience that we have to live out in the not yet. But the not yet means that something's coming. That being in the presence of God is a promise, right? We talk about hope, right? This new heart that's given, it's... it's, this pure heart that will see God as a heart of hope, right? Hope isn't some fancy I wish would happen. It's not, not like I hope I win the lottery. Hope is what? It, it is a surety of tomorrow based on God's promises and his past performance. That's what hope is. And we're told clearly in John, First John, he says, you know, like, it's beautiful. You're a child of God now. He's brought you into his family. Now, what we're going to be, has not we don't know yet exactly what it's going to be. But when Christ appears, look at this text. He says, Dear friends, now we're children of God, and what will be has not yet been made known. But what we know, what we know that when Christ appears, when he returns in the future, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him, what? Purify themselves just as he is pure, right? We have this hope of, of what will happen, but it's not yet. So in the meantime, we purify ourselves. Blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. So as you sit here this morning and we talk about purity and undivided heart, most of you are probably like, I fail. I fail at this. Right? You throw your hands up in the air. You ever just finish a day and you feel so impure? You finish a conversation with somebody, you feel so impure. Maybe get off the computer and you feel so impure. There's a story that I read as, as I head towards the end here. Um, it's from Leadership Magazine. It's, a, it's an older story. And this pastor, he, he details uh, his struggle for purity all right, because we have a very young audience, uh, he was daily looking at things that he shouldn't look at. He was heavily involved in watching things on the computer that he shouldn't be watching. His pastor, this man that was leading a flock. And so he began to seek counseling, right? He was doing everything he should be doing to gain purity, right? To overcome this struggle with looking at his computer. Countless hours of counseling. He went to deliverance ministries. This self-imposed discipline, right? He had accountability groups around him. He had every known remedy, right? He he checked all the boxes when it comes to purity. He did the four-step approach to breaking addiction, right? He went through, he treated it like an addiction like he should be should be doing. And no matter what he did, no matter how he sought purity, he would lapse back into impurity. This guy who knows the scriptures, right? Knows God's word. And so this pastor, he wrote he wrote an article called the uh, it's called the war within, this war against lust that he was experiencing. And as he was fighting his battle, I was going to say it against pornography, as he, as he fought that battle, he read a, a Roman Catholic author, which I, I found very helpful, this Roman Catholic person named Francois Muriac. And this, this Roman Catholic, Francois, he was taught that marriage would cure lust, right? You just get married and it takes care of things. Like, you don't, that is the thing that'll take care of the problem. And then he found, found out that it didn't cure the problem, Right. And we know that that won't. This guy, Francois Murak, he came to the conclusion that self-discipline, repression, and all the arguments in the world are inadequate in the battle against lust. He then realized that there is only one reason to seek purity. Only one reason. And he goes to Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. It is the reason that Christ proposed in the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purity, says Mariach, is the condition for a higher love, for a possession superior to all possessions. God himself. And so this pastor that was struggling with pornography read this guy and he's like, I'm, I'm doing, I'm checking all the boxes, but my affection towards God It's not where it should be. I'm not seeking God as the highest joy of my life. And so this pastor, after he read this, he says, the thought hit me like a bell rung in the dark, a silent hall. So far, none of the scary negative arguments against lust had succeeded in keeping me from it. Fear and guilt simply did not give me resolve. They added self-hatred to my problems. But here was a description of what I was missing. By continuing to harbor lust, I was limiting my own intimacy with God. The love he offers is so transcendent and so possessing that it requires all of our faculties to be purified and cleansed before we can possibly contain it. Could it be, in fact, could, could he, in fact, substitute another thirst and another hunger for the one I had never filled? Would living water somehow quench lust That was the gamble of faith. So what he was saying is is my heart was impure, and the impurity of my heart was keeping God out of my heart, and it was only as I dealt with that impurity in my heart that God could come in and he could satisfy me. It was only by taking away the negative and filling it with the positive that he could have the purity of heart that he was looking for Sam Storm says this. He says, God's reason for commanding purity of heart isn't because he wants to deprive us of the pleasures of impurity, right? Isn't that the lie? Every time we seek, every time we place our affections on the created thing directed away from God, we think, you know, God, I know you tell us that you're the one who's going to satisfy us, but I really think this thing's going satisfy to satisfy me now. That's what we do. Every wrong click on the computer is. Is, is the false notion that that's going to satisfy. It isn't that God is a killjoy, a celestial sourpuss who lives in fear that somehow, someone somewhere might be having a good time. It's not God. God's motive is his loving desire to impart to us pleasure and joy and happiness that far exceed both in depth and duration anything that impurity could ever produce. And what might that be? Seeing God. Seeing God. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So where are you this morning? As I close, where are you this morning? Um, You know, men, I'm just going to shoot straight with you, okay? Uh, Impurity with respect to um, looking at material you shouldn't look at, it isn't just for men. men. men women are involved in that as well but men you know the struggle that's there it's real okay and if you haven't been dealing with it then God has providentially brought you into this room that I would talk about purity that I would talk about pornography and then I would talk about the, the fact that, that pornography is crowding God out and you need to know the affection that God has for you the affection that God offers for you and it can't enter your heart unless you get rid of those false affections and so this morning maybe you need to cry out to God God create in me a pure heart renew a steadfast spirit in me restore to me the joy of my salvation and I like the last part of verse 12 grant in me a willing spirit right so we need we need a willing spirit man So maybe that's where you are. I think I'm in a room full of believers this morning. But if you've never experienced the new birth, knowing that your heart is deceitful, know that God wants to give you a new heart, you simply need to cry out in faith. It's with your heart that you believe. It's your mouth you confess, with your heart you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Thank you.